61 District 6, stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. Man, always exciting when we get to come and visit with you and spend a little time and share a little knowledge. Here's a guy that really needs no introduction. I mean, I, I, I mean, I got to tell you, I, I wait every week just to make this introduction, but he doesn't need it. The Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. How are you doing, Kelly? I am capital, man. I, I'm, I finally actually closed my eyes and slept, which was uh, I was not able to do the last 36 hours. So I'm rested, refreshed, and ready to rock. That's awesome. Well, we're glad that you're at your best, and hopefully we're going to have a, a good show based on it. So EMS World was this week. You and I both missed it this year from what we're hearing, though. It was really great. Everybody was having a good time. One of the things I want to bring up is uh, an incredible tribute, from what I hear, to uh, Norman McSwain, who, of course, mm-hmm. is the father of PHTLS, and uh, we lost him this year, and everybody was uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when they gave his tribute. And I just thought it would be nice just to send a shout out and, uh, you know, the things that he meant to our career field, uh, knowing him personally, uh, I'm the better for it, certainly. And, uh, you know, that, that product, that PHTLS book is going to live on forever. Yeah. You know, and Norm was, was a giant in our profession and it's rare indeed that you, you find a physician with as, as uh, steadfast a dedication, uh, to the betterment of EMS as, as Norm McSwain. I can name I can name a, a few uh, uh, physicians, and they all fit on the fingers of one hand. Um, and, and being a, a Louisiana icon, you know, it, it was it was uh, my pleasure to to uh, get to interact with Norm on a number of occasions. I think my favorite Norm McSwain story was 1993 when they rolled out the uh, the new EMT curriculum. Uh, they had a a uh, they had one of the rollouts in New Orleans, and McSwain welcomed us all there and and uh, said. Uh, welcome to New Orleans, a, a city truly unique for its culture, food, and nightlife. Uh, you'll you'll love it here. If you leave the hotel unescorted, you will be killed. <laughs> so, so everybody was coming. You guys are from Louisiana, right? Yeah, y'all show us where all the good parts are and where we can go, where we can have a good time and not be killed. So That's funny. we were pressed into services tour guides. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and do some news and uh, see what's going on in the inside EMS. And uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, this story filed under uh, ambulance services behaving badly. This uh, looks poor on, on Air Vivac's part, but out of St. Louis, an HIV positive uh, flight medic is suing uh, Air Vivac out of St. Louis in federal court, alleging that he was wrongly removed from his job as a paramedic and reassigned to dispatch because he is HIV positive. Um, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I, I think this is a guy that's, uh, probably going to get paid and rightfully so, uh, we've reached a, a stage in, in our knowledge of, of, uh, communicative disease that, uh, HIV is not the death sentence that it once was. Um, and we all, we know that it is not transmitted by casual contact, um, and that a properly gowned, gloved healthcare provider uh, poses little to no risk to his patients uh, by being HIV positive. I, I think he's got a case. What do you think? 
You know, one of the things that when I first heard this story come out, and certainly we, we don't know the facts and we don't know why this person was uh, reassigned. And, you know, of course, the lawsuit is going to maintain it's because of, uh, you know, his health status. But really, in these situations, we've got to wait to see what really pans out here, because is this that something is that's a that's a disciplinary action that's covered by, uh, you know, you know how people like to pull those cards every now and again to say it's because of this, it's because of that. In actuality, it had nothing to do with what the claim was. But let's go ahead and discuss the topic. If, in fact, someone was taken off the, their job because of uh, something that they have a medical condition, regardless of what it is, uh, that's just wrong. And uh, just like when we go and, uh, uh, you know, start IVs on patients that have HIV, we've got to be extra specially careful to ensure that we don't stick ourselves, that we don't uh, have any challenges with that. Hepatitis C is a big thing as well. I mean, so uh, those patients are out there. Do we have the right to say, well, I'm not going to take care of them just because they have this uh, this disease. No, we don't. So does that mean somebody who possesses these diseases aren't going to be good practitioners, aren't going to deliver the highest quality patient care, that they're going to affect, uh, affect their patients? But I think if it's being done for that reason, is this a preemptive strike by the organization to say, we just don't want to have a lawsuit because we had an HIV-positive employee delivering patient care to our, to our citizens? Well, congratulations if that is the case. They've already got their first lawsuit. Maybe he didn't even have to treat a single patient to get it. Um, I just, uh, uh, if that is the case, and, and you made a good point that, that we only know what the AP is reporting on the story, and, and that's not the entire, uh, uh, that's, that's not all sides of it. But if that is the case, uh, then, then they've, uh, they've engendered a lawsuit and, and a, a probably a well-founded one. Um, there are plenty of ways uh, to protect against HIV um, and any other communicable disease. Now, I understand, perhaps, if the patient has some airborne communicable illness uh, and he's in, in, in an aircraft with, uh, with his fellow uh, air crew and, and with patients and, and that sort of thing, and um, that would be a different story. But um, even so, you know, uh, TB can be controlled and cured, uh, hopefully. Uh, if it's not one of the drug-resistant types, I just don't think that uh, HIV really qualifies uh, as a uh, uh, inability to perform one's job or or a significant risk to the public, provided that the uh, that the um, medic is is suitably attired and takes all the body substance isolation precautions he would normally take to protect him from the patient's bodily fluids. So you know we'll see how this plays out. But judging uh, from the comment from some of our colleagues on social media. Um, some of us in the EMS have a way to go toward understanding and, and uh, acceptance of, uh, of people with, with communicable diseases and, and still a lot of fear and, and unfounded fear uh, of HIV out there. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100%. You know, b before I get into my news story, I wanted to ask you this, because this is the time of year I think we need to bring a little bit of awareness to it, but it's kilted to kick cancer time. And oh, yes. as yes, I was indeed. looking for our next news story, and I have it here, it's, it's one I'm ready and it's teed up. This is something that's very, very close to your heart. It's something that you've done for many of year. So why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit, a little bit about Kill to, to Kick Cancer. Let our listeners know how they can get involved uh, and kind of what's it all about. Because this is really a fun time of the year for people who now contribute to Team Ambulance Driver. 
Yeah, yeah. That's the best way to, to uh, help the kilted to get cancer caused by donating, by donating specifically to Team Ambulance Driver. <laughs> um, Kilted to Get Cancer is a, a cancer charity uh, founded by Justin Shore and Jason Hoshauer, and, and I jumped on board uh, shortly after uh, we got the idea um, in response to the uh, Take Your Blog Pink campaign uh, back in 2011. Uh, we were challenged to to uh, turn our blog backgrounds pink in, in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. Um, and while we were all doing that, uh, another EMS blogger said, you know, you guys are all males. Uh, none of you uh, have really much of a risk for breast cancer, but every one of you possesses a prostate gland, and you are more likely to die of prostate cancer than a woman is, is to die of breast cancer. Not to mention the fact that uh, prostate cancer research only gets a tiny fraction of the attention and research dollars that breast cancer research does. Why don't you guys do something uh, about something that's more likely, uh, an illness that's more likely to affect you personally? So thus was Kilted to Kick Cancer born, and, and our gimmick is is we wear kilts for the entire month of September uh, to uh, raise awareness for prostate cancer research. And uh, I started the fundraising challenge that first year, and to date, in, in about uh, 120 days of active fundraising, we raised well over $65,000. And look to be on target to raise about $20,000 in this year's campaign. We've got our 501c3. 100% uh, of the money donated goes directly to cancer research. We have no overhead costs. Um, we, we are an unpaid board, and every penny that you donate actually goes toward cancer research and, and what projects we've benefited with, uh, with a little financial supporter right there on the Kilted to Kit Cancer website. So I would in, encourage everyone to uh, if cancer has touched you, if you're concerned in any way about uh, combating a disease that, that uh, affects one in seven men, um, please donate. Uh, if not on my behalf or for Team Ambulance Driver, just go to the Kilted to Kick Cancer website and donate under general donation. We could use your money. Yeah, and I find it to be a good cause. And uh, you have my pledge of $100, and I am going to do that for you today and uh, put you that know, towards... And uh, I appreciate the efforts that you have, and uh, uh, my family is, is has been affected severely by cancer. My mom passed away of cancer. My nieces, uh, my sisters had cancer, and um, we can't do enough for that. And usually, I give to the Cancer Society, uh, you know, Susan B. Komen. Uh, but uh, I wait for this time of year to come around so I can support what you're doing. And uh, my kudos go to you. I appreciate it. Oh, and, and man, you get a, I'm, I'm sweetening the pot for people who donate to my campaign. So you get to pick two absurdly humiliating kilted poses. And I really? will pose in a kilt to whatever you want. Really? And, uh, and post, those, post those on Facebook and social media. Really? Um, I already got to do the, the Charlie's, uh, Charlie's Angels uh, kilted pose. And, um, and I saw something you had with uh, fr fruit on your head or something like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's um, the Photoshop talents of a uh, one of my Facebook friends, Mark Orabello. He's he's pretty awesome there. All right, well, let me think of how I so can uh, how I could humiliate you. Let me go ahead and move to my news story. <laughs> and uh, you know, mine was really a good. Uh, I, I thought a good story this week. John Stewart, uh, of course, from the Daily Show, and now he's retired. He seems to have picked picked up the cause. For 911 health benefits, and he mm -hmm. was around in Washington D.C., running through the halls of Capitol Hill, 
uh, um, dragging down some uh, senators and Congress folks and saying, hey, we've got a problem here. And the problem is a lot of these folks who were at, uh, you know, uh, ground zero on uh, September 11, 2001, they're having some challenges and we need to get them some health benefits. And I'm embarrassed that you, after serving so selfishly with those heroisms, have come down here to convince people to do what's right. And that's his quote. And Mm -hmm. he is trying to bring awareness to the fact that people are dying from their efforts of trying to save others. And and I got to tell you, man, I I loved him on The Daily Show. I think he's an awesome comedian. He's been great in some movies. And, uh, you know, this just really, uh, you know, kind of opens your heart to somebody like Jon Stewart, who's who's putting himself out there for the first responders to say, you know, don't forget these guys. Yeah, you know, and and, and it's it's not a common thing for me to uh, find common ground with, with Jon Stewart politically. Speaking, uh, we we have uh, differing political philosophies. Uh, I've always considered myself a, a conservative or, or libertarian, um, but the conservative uh, opposition to extending these benefits, uh, quite frankly, just sickens me. Um, you know, I, I've always ascribed to the the old saying that uh, if you're under under thirty and, and uh, not liberal, you have no heart, and if you're over 30 and not conservative, you have no brain. Uh, but just because you're over 30 and conservative doesn't mean that you uh, um, that having a heart and having a brain are, are mutually exclusive things. And this is this is something that needs to be done. Uh, and the, the conservative lawmakers that are opposing this, uh, I'm ashamed to say that uh, some of them were people I had supported in the past, and they're probably not going to get my support in the future. Um, it's just uh, uh, this is something that needs to get done. These people, we're we're breaking the faith uh, with people who uh, who put their health and their their uh, lives at risk um, in the days following 9/11. And, and uh, as a society, we need to keep the faith with them and, and take care of their health care needs. The next one is uh, let's see here. This latest case comes out of Lansing, Michigan. Um, I'll remember if you. Uh, Week week or so ago, uh, firefighter Dennis Roadman was uh, mowed down in traffic in a, a fill the boot campaign. Man, this was just a horrible story, Kelly. Just a horrible yeah. story. Yeah, this this guy is is uh, uh, Grant Taylor uh, was the perpetrator who argued with uh, with firefighter Roadman um, while they were doing a, a fill the boot campaign. He was standing wearing a traffic vest in the turn lane or uh, uh, there, and and uh, apparently this guy thought he was they were. Uh, disrupting traffic and, and, and holding up the flow of traffic. So uh, after giving him a few choice words, he turned his truck down uh, and uh, turned his truck around and came back and ran uh, Dennis Roadman down and killed him. And, um, you know, I just, yes, the man has, has mental illness. He's been diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. He probably should not have been on the streets uh, as uh in uh, or he should not have been on the streets in the first place but uh, i have a hard time excusing what he did because of mental illness this is an animal that does not want need to be in society any longer ever again um and uh but the bigger picture is 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 it time uh knowing that this this sort of risk is out there not just from from uh uh malice aforethought but just from from uh distracted drivers uh, would it be a better policy to find a, a, a better way to um, 
to raise funds for, for our charities uh, and, and get those firefighters out of traffic uh, and, and maybe on the side of the road or something. Is it safe for firefighters even wearing um, reflective clothing to, to be standing in, in the traffic lanes or not in the traffic lanes but standing in turn lanes at intersections soliciting donations no matter how worthy the cause? Uh, is that a safety issue that, that um, perhaps needs to be looked at more closely? What do you think? Yeah, man, I got to tell you, when I first heard the story, I mean, it it was just horrible to know that, you know, we've got to be on guard anytime we go onto a call. I mean, firefighters are getting shot. EMTs and paramedics are getting beat up. But this was a situation where they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to raise money for charity. And, you know, he's not thinking that anything's going to happen. And somebody decides to take his life because... He was upset that he had to sit in traffic. And, uh, you know, it kind of made me sick to hear that this happened. But, you know, going back to your comments, do we need to be able to find different ways to to, to make this happen? I I don't really think so, you know. I mean, I think that it's been effective throughout the years. I think that this was Mm -hmm. one of those things that uh, you had one crazy person who decided to, uh, you know, I'll even change that. It wasn't even a crazy person. It was an evil person who decided to Mm -hmm. take another man's life who was just trying to raise some money for charity. And, uh, you know, I I don't think that it's any different from, you know, anybody else who decides to, to murder somebody. And, uh, man, it was just a horrible, horrible uh, call, a horrible, horrible story. And, uh, man, I, my heart goes out to that family. My heart goes out to those, those firefighters that had to be there with their brother on the ground uh, after somebody did this thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you, you've, said, you've said many times in the past that you have to keep your head on a swivel. Uh, and it's not a safe world we live in just in general. And, and it's not a safe world uh, uh, specifically for public safety, um, uh, and especially with the uh, with the increased uh, with the uptick recently in violence, uh, premeditated violence against police officers. Um, you know, I this this is not a good week for me uh, for my conservative political heroes of my youth. You know, because um, the one of the reasons we have such a fragmented and and well, it's not even fragmented. Uh, it's it's fractured healthcare system, uh, mental health system is, is because of Ronald Reagan. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, started the dismantling of the of the uh, mental health system uh, during his terms as president, and uh, we're reaping uh, reaping what he sowed. Um, some people um, need to be institutionalized, and, and we need to go back to the point where we are identifying those people and institutionalizing them. Uh, and providing for their long-term health care um, because they, you know, uh, the most dangerous people out there, they're not wearing signs that, you know, here there be dragons. Uh, they're, they look just like us right up until the point where they lash out and shoot up a school or run down a firefighter or whatever. Um, it's, it's time we, we do something about mental health, uh, mental illness in society. You know, I think it's one of the things that uh, we overlook. And even as providers, when we start to deal with people that have mental illness, uh, we don't take the most um, compassionate role with those folks. And one of the things I try to share with the EMTs and paramedics, and I think sometimes that we forget is, is there a metabolic problem going on here that's causing these problems to happen? And it's just, you know, a lot of times maybe that's no, Kelly, but, you know, we just take for, for, for you know, face value when the call comes out for a, for a mental illness, for a, 
OBS, uh, whatever we want to call it, and we don't really do the due diligence to figure out, is this a medical problem that's uh, causing this change of consciousness, that's causing these problems to uh, outbreak? And But to going back to your problem, I think that mental illness is a challenge in every single city and every single state. And I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, you even have judges that are letting people go that have caused the same mm. problems that, ha that have been, uh, you know, terrors on people that have, uh, you know, documented uh, cases of, of mental illness and violence. And instead of helping those folks, they're just letting them go back into society. And, uh, you know, we really have to watch out for that now because we can't hang out on the street corner and collect money. We can't go into a church. We can't go to a movie theater without people risking, uh, without us risking our lives by people who want to take them. Yep. You know, every, every modern society has to balance uh, compassion uh, and, and the care for people who can't care for themselves and, and the right of self-determination with public safety. Um, some people should be jailed and institutionalized uh, because it is safer for the public that way. Um, but the, the thorny issue is how do we determine that uh, and still allow people due process of law and the ability to, to uh, um, address their accusers. You know, but that's a problem we're going to have to address, and, and the solution remains, uh, remains um, uh, hard to find, but uh, we need to get on it because uh, it's getting worse. So yeah, what have we, you got for us? I got to tell you, I'm surprised you didn't do this. I'm surprised you didn't do this story, <laughs> but now I've got to do it. And this should have been your favorite, an exclusive EMT accused of sleeping while on duty has a history of work performance issues. DC Fire, they were transporting somebody in an ambulance and uh, amateur video caught the uh, uh, EMT in the back of the ambulance sleeping on the job with a patient on the stretcher. And uh, I got to tell you, man, uh, and I try, we try very hard. At least I try very hard. You're, you're a little bit more uh, uh, flammable than I am. But I try very hard not to point fingers at specific organizations to say, what's going on and what are you doing but it's constant that dc fire and ems is in the news for for challenges for unprofessionalism and uh i don't know what the answer is man but uh you know chief ellerby is gone and you figured that uh, everybody was pointing fingers to say that this was the guy that was causing us to uh you know uh you know have the challenges that we were doing but he's gone now and it doesn't seem that things are getting better and uh, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, this gives us a punch in the face. This gives us a black eye. And, and then you yeah. go back to the, you know, the challenge that they had a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of months back when they wouldn't respond to a call, a cardiac arrest. You know how those calls go, and I'm not responding without whatever. And uh, I don't know, man. Something has to be done to tear this system down and build it from the ground up. Yep, uh, it's time to blow up the enterprise. It, 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 no, it's not time to blow up the enterprise. The time to blow up the enterprise is, uh, as regards to DC Fire EMS was 10, 12 years ago. Uh, they're long since the point where they needed to blow it up and start over again. And, and it's pretty obvious that the problems are, are pervasive there, uh, and they go from the upper-rank hierarchy right on down to the lowest street medic. It is a culture problem, not just a leadership problem. But, you know, thank right. God for DC Fire EMS. Um, Without them, uh, you know, or at least with DC Fire EMS, Detroit Fire can say, "Hey, we don't suck that bad." Right. Well, here's <laughs> the thing: I'm going to DC Fire EMS, but you know, 
I don't want to pick on them, but I will address the issue of of the the firefighter sleeping on duty. You know, there but for the grace of God go I. I run a lot of long distance transports. Uh, I was an undiagnosed sleep apnea uh, patient for uh, a number of years before I uh, uh, in my early in my EMS career, uh, and I have dozed off on long transports before. Um, uh, it's not. Opt, uh, or it's it's I don't condone um, it, I, I just couldn't help it now what brings to mind is is what kind of fatigue fatigue mitigation policies DC fire EMS has there is no excuse for falling asleep uh, while you're supposed to be rendering patient care but we don't know how long that firefighter was on duty how many calls she had run that day um, we just don't know um, and and I hesitate to condemn her um, without knowing that information. Well, that's, that's mighty nice of you. You know, one of the things that I want to challenge <laughs> you on is that if it is a culture problem, it is a leadership problem. Because leadership mm-hmm. needs to know that what drives culture is behavior. Organizational behavior is what drives the change in culture. And, you know, we'll call it the normalization of deviance. We put a we put a policy out to say that this is the way this should run. And then maybe we only do seven steps of that eight-step policy. And then a few months later, and then that seven steps become the normal. And then we're doing six steps of that eight-step policy, and now that becomes the normal. And, you know, anytime that you have a change in culture, it's because of a change in behavior, whether it's a leadership behavior, whether it's a workforce behavior. And if you're not staying on top of that, then you allow the culture to fester, you allow the culture to become part of the organization, and it only takes three to six months to develop a culture, but it takes you almost you know, uh, three years to change that culture once it's started in the organization. And if, you don't un- if you're not following your processes, if you're not ensuring that things are, are going according to plan, and you allow the normalization of deviance, and you allow that culture to get into your organization, it really has something to do with poor leadership. Now, let me go ahead and go back, and I was pretty hard on DC Fire and EMS, and, and there are a few people there that are, are causing a black eye, but I know men and women there. Some of my friends are there, and they're really hardworking folks, and, and they don't deserve what's happening around them to get this black eye within their organization. Well, you know, and I'm going to rebut what you just said, because uh, no less a, a management guru than, than Peter Grucker uh, said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, and that means that, that no matter how visionary the leader, no matter how strong and effective he is, no matter how sound his plan for leading his agency, um, unless you get buy-in from the organization, from the grunts, unless you get buy-in from the people who are supposed to carry out that policy, uh, it is doomed to fail. So no matter what luminary they hire next, uh, to take care of Ellerby. Something has got to change with the rank and file. Um, now, can, are you, is the, the new chief of DC Fire EMS a, a, a charismatic enough figure that he can, he can convince people to, to buy into his vision? Well, that remains to be seen, but right now it's not. And, and if you can't get people to buy in, the only other solution is, is get new people. Uh, and we're back to the whole blowing up the enterprise thing. If you can't get the current uh, people to change their culture and to buy into your, your strategic vision, uh, then the only solution is to get rid of them all and, and through, through attrition, uh, replace them with the kind of people you want. Right. Um, so that's, that's the choice they're at. They either got to change the way they do things 
uh, or they just got to get new people. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I mean, I would love to debate you on some leadership stuff because I disagree with you 100%. But uh, that's not the only, that's, this isn't the first time. You know, one of the things I, I want to share with you is, is I got home today from, uh, I was up in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Pulse Check Conference, and, and it was a really great conference. And we talked about, uh, 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 you know, we talked about Ferguson. We did some leadership lectures up there, and, and people were very complimentary of the show. And uh, one of the uh, folks that came up to me said they really enjoy our banter. They really enjoy that, uh, you know, it seems that we really don't like each other and, and uh, you know, that it was an act. And I say, it's, it's no act. We really don't like each other. And, uh, <laughs> But we talked about that, you know, you and I got together with this show with the intent that, that we come from two different uh, environments. You know, we're mm-hmm. both street, core street paramedics. We both have leadership knowledge. We both have educational knowledge. But we do have fundamentally different uh, ways that we handle things. And sometimes we're going to have those differences of opinions. And uh, hopefully it's a little bit entertaining. But, uh, you know, in this case, uh, you know, I just think you're wrong. But uh, you're, I'm allowed well. to think you're wrong. Yeah, you're, you're, it's a free country. You're as free as, as anyone else to be incorrect uh, and have wrong assumptions. But well, I don't. I dislike you, Chris. I consider you a friend. Uh, and and I, uh, my philosophy has always been that uh, all my good friends are, are permitted to one fatal flaw, and your fatal flaw is disagreeing with me. So uh, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Man. That's that's um, mighty, that's mighty gracious of you. Mighty gracious of yeah. you, sir. We're the we're the Hannity and Combs of EMS. I like that, but, uh, man. I like it. Which one am I? I Who am I? Hannity. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead, man, and, and wrap the news up for this week. And uh, let's go ahead and put the uh, the nails into another show and uh, do that ending thing and get us up on out of here. Covered some good EMS news this week, and uh, as always, we'd like to hear your take on it. So give us your questions, comments, and concerns at the show at one.com and. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, the chronically wrong one, I'm Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week. That last word always kills me. <laughs>